few people have been able to keep up for so many years and also for several countries behind the scenes as today's guest. Even fewer would dare to tell almost everything that has happened over the years. But courage is something Alon Amir does not lack. Brave or an idiot? Well, that is something he himself does not always know. Neither does his mother. His journey in the Eurovision world started in 1995 and during two episodes we will be able to take part of his memories and anecdotes from all these years with Israeli, Belarusian and Slovak delegations around Europe. Why he did not dare to go back to the hotel in Kiev? What does he remember from Birmingham when a certain diva won? What dress did he want to cut into pieces? What was the relationship really like between some artists? How much alcohol does it take to fuel a Eurovision trip? Which artist didn't really like his own song? And what can he tell about jury work around Europe that he has partaken in? For more than three hours without a break, we conducted this conversation one late night in October 2021. And I realized immediately afterwards that I had forgotten half of everything he said, because so much was completely new information for me, and there was so much to take in. And so in order to avoid that, you, my dear listeners, will not feel the same, I decided to make two episodes of this conversation and to release them a week apart. Believe me, some things may need to sink in, and this is worth the week to wait. This is Eurovision Legends with Alon Amir, part one, and I'm your Israel friend, Emil Löfström. Shalom and welcome to Eurovision Legends, Alon Amir. Hey, hey, how are you? <laughs> Very good. Mashlumcha. Selam, mashlumcha ata. Metsuyan. Oh, okay, so your Hebrew is not bad at all. Toda raba. Very good. Ani medaber ktsat ivrit. So we continue in English, I think. Yeah, well, my Swedish is really bad. I mean, I, I know a few words, but that's it. I can count till 12, thank, thanks to my job, yeah. Then you don't know 9 and 11, I guess. Neo uh, Elva. Ah, great. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have been in contact for some time on Messenger, and you have helped me with this podcast. And we met in Tel Aviv 2019 when you came to the party at the Swedish Embassy together with Anne-Marie David. Yeah. And you have worked with Eurovision several times, written a book, a novel based on your experiences from your years. Inspired. We want to say inspired. Okay. Okay. Inspired. Yeah. Yes. And you've worked with some of the biggest artists from Eurovision in Israel and abroad. We can end this now. I'm, I'm good. This is fantastic. I don't need any more. And since you are the biggest fan yourself of the competition and have been to several Eurovisions behind the scenes, I'm pretty sure that this conversation will be so fascinating since you have so much to tell us. So I hope you don't have any more plans for the rest of this evening because I have so many questions. Come on, fire away. (laughs) Let's do this. Come on. But before anything else, I would like to warm up with some quick questions to get to know you and your taste a bit better. Sure. First memory from watching the Eurovision Song Contest. 
Oh, that's easy. Uh, 1985, I was seven, so I wasn't allowed to stay late. But since it was Eurovision, um, I remember watching with my family and we were all waiting for Isar Cohen uh, to perform. And I remember the excitement. I remember uh, some of the songs. So that's my first memory of Eurovision in 85. Name drop three non-Israeli songs from the contest that you really love. Oh! Oh, it's like choosing. It's it's wow. That's that's difficult. There are so many. I know. Um, oh God. Um, But who springs to your mind? Okay, Katrina in the waves. Love Channel Life. Which is brilliant. Um, Mia Martini, Rapsodia from Italy, '92, oh. mm. which is. Uh, what a song. Yeah. Should have won. Uh, uh, I think so as well. I, you know, I gotta say Anne-Marie David, uh, Tout reconnaîtra, and je suis l'homme for soleil. Otherwise, she'll kill me. So, <laughs> yeah. According to you, who should have won Eurovision but didn't? Oh, so many. Oh, there were so many shitty winners. My <laughs> God. Um, like real shit. Um, let's say you're from Sweden. So let's say Sweden 89. Oh, yeah. Marvelous song. Tommy Nilsson and Dog. Yeah. Such a brilliant song, so that's one. Yeah, from Israel then. Who should have? Well, we all say Shiri. My mom. You know, yeah, in 90, in uh, 2005. <laughs> But I would also say Do That in 91. That really brought me into Eurovision and got me addicted, like really addicted to Eurovision. Uh, who else should have... Well, well um, oh, uh, maybe Ofra Haza with uh, Chai in 83. 
such a great song and and for me as an Israeli uh, it's the most emotional moment in the history of the Eurovision more than our four victories as you know singing that the people of Israel are alive in Munich and I'm a grandson of Holocaust survivors so you know it, it has a special meaning for me Who should not have won Eurovision then? Oh, so many. <laughs> so many. What to choose from? That's so difficult. I would say, uh, what was Estonia and Latvia? 2001 and 2002. Yeah, so those songs, uh, what the fuck? Yeah, I agree. Um, I didn't understand the first Ukrainian victory. Ruslana. Yeah. Mm. Um, I know I know some friends of ours will kill me but I, I didn't get it I, I'm, I mean it's my personal taste I didn't get it so many come on uh, Yugoslavia in 89 what was that I'm sorry people not, not a fan of the Celine Dion song Ooh. Uh, yeah you are brave or stupid that's <laughs> how you look at it <laughs> A lot of songs, <laughs> unfortunately. Funniest moment in Eurovision during your years? The funniest? Yeah. Wow, uh, the funniest moment. You know what? I would say the one that left me with an actual scar, and I'm not kidding you, I've got my happy scar with, uh, from Eurovision on my leg. Uh, when we qualified to the final in 2009 with uh, Noah and Mira Awad, yeah. we were not sure as most of the listeners, that we would qualify. It's a very political song, very non-Eurovision. And when we qualified, uh, we started jumping up and down and you can see it uh, on YouTube. And at the press conference, I felt that my leg was very warm and I lifted my trousers and I was my leg was all covered with my blood and I have a scar. So that's my happy scar from Eurovision. I, I, I kid you not, I still have a scar 12 years later. But how did you get it? Jumping up and down and I, I was, uh, we were all bumping in the table. Okay. Uh, so that was it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, least funniest moment in Eurovision during your years then? Oh, come on, that has to be Baku. The Israeli delegation, I was the head of press. We came to a Muslim country with an open border to Iran with uh, 15 special agents protecting us, prevented us from being kidnapped by 40 Did Iranian... you know that they were following you? Um, listen, when uh, Azerbaijan won in 2011, me and another member of the delegation throughout the whole year, we said, we're not going to Azerbaijan, we're not going to die. And then both of us got the phone call uh, recruiting us. It was uh, April 1st, I think. Yeah. And we called each other and I'm like, I got a call. And she said, I got a call. And I said, I'm not going. She said, I'm not going. And then there was a moment of silence and I said, so we're both going on. She said, yeah, we're going to die. So we went to Baku knowing that there might be some troubles. We went with uh, three special agents and at the first couple of days, everything was fine. Everything was great. We were allowed to walk by ourselves. 
and then by the third day everything had changed completely uh, 12 more special agents arrived which then I realized that we're in trouble it was a month after uh, the Israeli ambassador uh, escaped from assassination and about two three months after uh, a Jewish building got almost exploded so we knew that we're coming to this city which we've got nothing to be afraid from the Azeris which were very nice but again open border to Iran so uh, you know doing Eurovision it's very stress very stressful and you're investing a lot of time and efforts and and of course money but for us Israelis there's also the security thing and after the Munich Olympics in 72 yeah. which uh, 11 members of the Israeli delegation got murdered yeah. uh, so security is high so once I realized that there is backup and massive backup I kind of understood what's happening and um, I, I, I knew that I'm going back home in a coffin my mom wouldn't won't be happy and um, yeah but but I, I was very stressed out yeah it, it was a, a very frightening two weeks but uh, a book came out of it so you know I'm but, not complaining but, I mean, now but did um, EBU and um, Azerbaijan did they tell you that they could guarantee your safety? Well, obviously they did their best and they succeeded. But the Israeli special agents worked, of course, with the Azeri police and intelligence. And from rumors that I've heard, the American intelligence was the one warning Israel about terror. I don't know exactly what happened. They don't tell us. And when we asked, what was happening? No, no, everything is fine. But I, I knew a month after Eurovision, after we came back, I um, uh, saw one of the special agents on the street and he said to me, you stupid bastards, what were you doing there? And I said, well, you know, Eurovision. And he started listing every single thing that they've prevented, all the alerts. And I, I knew something was happening. I just wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about uh, Azerbaijan in 2012 more later. Uh, we continue with the quick questions. Um, sure. Best song in Eurovision from Israel. You can only choose one. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're putting me in so much troubles. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? I hate you right now. Um, oh, I have to say Hallelujah from 79 because it's more than a song, it's an anthem. Yeah. So I gotta say Hallelujah. Every Israeli I have had in this show has said that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. And I know it's a hymnon in, in Israel. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. If we will replace our anthem, that would be the one. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite country in Eurovision nowadays, apart from Israel? I'm not a fan of the Israeli, of Israel in, in recent years, I have to admit. Um, favorite country has to be Italy. Yeah. Great songs. Really great songs. Also Norway, they're, they're, they're doing well. I mean, I love a lot of their songs. I love that yeah. Norway never plays safe, like, like Sweden always do. I'm, even if I'm a Swede myself, I always, of course, I always wanted us to be on the top five, but we always play safe, always. Yeah, 
kinda and in recent years, in my opinion, not the best of of the choice that you have over there in Mellow. Yeah, I'm not sure you're doing you're choosing right, but uh, Finland is always interesting. It's either really good or really bad. Yeah, and you expect that from Finland. You know, it's either very interesting or like wow not giving a fuck about Eurovision. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. And, and and we can always say that, you know, thank God for the UK because someone has to finish last. So UK and Germany, well done for you for taking the burden from us. <laughs> We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Danke. <laughs> Mazel tov. Yeah. Last quickie. Who got your vote in this year's final 2021? Oh, the, oh, oh, uh, I'm happy that you think I remember. Uh, before the contest, it would have been uh, France, mm-hmm. but she didn't perform that well, in my opinion. Um, I understand why Italy won. Uh, wasn't a fan of the Swiss entry, but there were some good songs, which I... Russia. Oh. My. God. That was a brilliant performance. texted uh, the Russian head of delegation that if God exists, they will win. Uh, apparently he doesn't exist. <laughs> they haven't won. <laughs> <laughs> We survived the first part. Okay, good for me. In 1995, 17 years old, yeah. you went to Dublin to work as a production assistant. Yeah. How did you land that job? I uh, knew uh, Duo Dats. Yeah. Uh, since I was like 13, yeah. I had a fan club for them. Oh, yeah. And at one point I wasn't really a fan anymore, but they were signed by Israeli legendary producer Shlomo Tzach, which yeah. produced Hallelujah and Abadi B. Yes. So I was in contact, uh, in contact with him and then Moshe, he composed a song for the Israeli national final and he gave a cassette. And the song was like three minutes, 20 seconds, something like that. So me and my twin brother, we went to Shlomo to the, his office because he liked meeting. He always had time for us, even though we were teenagers. Yeah. So we went to him and we met with him and we said uh, to him what should be cut from this version and how we see it on stage. And he said, well, that's told you, that's exactly what's about to happen on stage in the national final. And he said, no, he didn't say anything. That's our ideas. And he liked that, that we had uh, this vision. So our job at the national final was to light the candles. We had a lot of candles in this song, which we were not allowed to bring to Dublin. I know, yeah. It's funny now with all the fireworks, but we were not allowed to light candles. And I have heard that you complained wildly. We're Israelis, of course, we'll complain, always. 
So we won the national final and we said to Shlomo, we're coming on our own expense to learn how to do Eurovision. We were 17, we were uh, at our final year in high school. I missed two final exams. My mom didn't know, I didn't tell her, but we went as part of the Israeli delegation to Dublin and learned what the Eurovision is all about. Yeah. And that was uh, a brilliant, brilliant experience. Do you still have that cassette? I might have it. Yeah, I, I, I may have it somewhere, maybe. Who uses cassettes anymore? <laughs> I know, but uh, I would love to hear the demo of the song. You should have heard the demo of Steve, but we'll talk about that in a, in, a, in a second. And then, you know, that was May 95. And at the end of January 96, I started working uh, at Shlomo's office. Yeah. I started as uh, the secretary's assistant. <laughs> I was 18, and three months later, I was the executive producer of the office. Uh, can we go back to 95? I, w- I wonder, sure. what do you remember from Dublin? What happened everything. behind the scenes? And, and yeah, what can you tell us? I remember everything. You know, we, we were there for a week. Then it was a week. Yeah. And we shot the postcards on Tuesday or Wednesday. And we had a trip by train, all the delegations to somewhere not far away from Belfast. Uh, they had signed a peace agreement not long before that. So they took us on a train. And I remember that the UK delegation were, the, the singers were really nice. Love City Groove. Yeah, they yeah. were really nice. I remember after the final, which we came eight. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, eighth position, you're like, oh my God, this is an amazing, uh, wow, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Back then it was like, eh. And I remember uh, Dats, we call it Dats, uh, Moshe. We went on the bus, delegation bus, and he said, had I known that we would uh, finish in that position, I wouldn't have bothered. Dublin airport. I remember that all of the delegation we were sitting and the Slovenian singer passed us by and we started singing her song and um, a lot of fun memories. It was the first time ever in a delegation bus with a lot of police surrounding us uh, driving through red lights. We stopped for pizza and we had like five, six, seven police officers surrounding us. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, I can get used to that. That's not bad. I didn't really understand everything at the age of 17. So, you know, it was fun. I thought, oh my God, running through red lights. We don't have to wait, no traffic jams. That's brilliant. And the delegation, obviously I knew most of the people, you know, Leora, the singer, and Shlomo, and, and Duodat, and the backup singers. So it, it was really, really, really fun. And um, I really enjoyed that week. Wasn't Ralf Siegel in your delegation too? No. Didn't he? No. Didn't his uh, record label... Uh... He, he, he and Shlomo, uh, they had worked together for years. Uh, so in Germany, I think... 
the single of Amen uh, was released uh, via Jupiter Records. Yep, yep. But I don't remember uh, Ralph with us. Okay. Uh, in the delegation, I will tell you something about Ralph when I talk to him in Baku because I, I have met him so many times. Uh, did you know that he used to date briefly? Ilanit. Yeah. Yep, I know. And he said to me that that's his biggest uh, miss in life, Ilanit. Okay. Yeah, when I, he has been guest in this podcast three times, and I remember my first chat with him, he told me that uh, he was uh, deeply in love with Ilanit. So he he said to me in Baku, that's one of the biggest things that he's sorry hmm. about. Yeah. Which, you know, she's a really good friend of mine. I, I love her dearly. She was also signed by Shlomo Tzach. So, you know, I know Ilanit since I was 18. Yeah, yeah. Ilanit was actually one of my first guests in this podcast. And I must say, I love her too. She, she's Israeli royalty. Yeah. She, she's, she's amazing. And she still have, uh, she has uh, the most wonderful career in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any gossip from 95 then? You know, everything is prescribed now. Uh, gossip? You know what? Not really. I was mainly with the Israeli delegation, so, and I was a kid, so I didn't really understand anything. Uh, so I have a lot of gossip from other years and funny stories. But oh, wait, now I remember about the funny story you asked me before. I have a funny story. When we'll get to 2009, I have a really funny story. Um, no, not, not really. Not yeah. a lot of gossip. No. Norway won with the almost instrumental song Nocturne. Spain got second place and Sweden third. Did you have any favorites yourself among the songs? I thought Spain would win. Yeah. Honestly, I, I'm so happy that Norway won. What a wonderful piece, which, you know, every few years you have this Eurovision winner or a song in Eurovision which changes the rules. And a lot of songs in following years are trying to copy that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Secret Garden, first of all, they did very well all over the world for so many years. And I think it's one of the best Eurovision winners. It, what a wonderful song. And, and let's call it a song or a piece, doesn't matter. It's just brilliant and uh, I'm very happy for that. After, in 96, the first semi-final or qualifying round took place since many new countries wanted to take part in the contest. Yeah. And because several new countries also had gotten their independence from the Soviet Union. And in this semi-final, if we choose to call it that, Israel didn't qualify. Hey! Was this the reason you didn't take off to Oslo? Or why weren't you there the year after? Uh, I don't know. I, well, obviously, Israel didn't take part. So 
there was nothing for me to to go to Eurovision, and I had just started working at uh, Shlomo Tzach office. But I did go uh, the following year in 97 to Dublin, even though we didn't take part as a journalist for one of the biggest uh, Israeli newspapers. Yeah. Uh, And the reason Israel didn't take part was because of the Memorial Day, Yom Hazikaron. Yeah, Yeah, Yom Hazikaron. So we didn't take part, which is fine. But I was the only Israeli there and I met so many wonderful people. One of the Cypriot backup singers uh, became a really good friend of mine. I traveled to Cyprus three times to visit him and his family. I met a lot of really, really, really nice people there. And of course, I met Katrina. That was our first uh, encounter. Do you remember anything specific from Dublin? I remember after the contest being on the bus with the Polish delegation, which one of the best songs that year, in my opinion, of course. Uh, he told me that his great, if I remember correctly, his great parents have hidden Jews during the Holocaust and they were caught and they were executed for, mm. uh, yeah. But I do remember watching the Jewish rehearsal in the arena and I remember watching the Russian singer. Ah, Ala Pugachova. Ala Pugachova. She, she's like God. Russian Russia. royal. <laughs> yeah. Now we are talking. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember watching her on stage and she has such huge, huge charisma. And I, I, I thought, wow, they're going to be in the top three. That's, that is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> very disappointed for Iceland. Again, if we're talking about songs that had changed Eurovision, I gotta give it to Iceland that year. Yeah, ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. Uh, it paved the way for other songs. And I think the gay community, the LGBTQ community, that was the defining moment of this is what we like about Eurovision. London, That was absolutely brilliant performance and in my opinion one of the top 10 performances in Eurovision that was so amazing. Yeah, I totally agree. The United Kingdom with a tipsy Katrina Leskanich won a superior victory. Listen, listen, I gotta tell you something. Most of the winners and, and you know, I sat a lot of times in the green room with our delegations. And it's a long time sitting in the green room and they serve wine. Yeah, yeah, but Katrina told us in this podcast that she drank vodka with Mrs. Einstein. You won with the biggest amount of points to that date, and we could see you celebrating early on in the green room with lots of champagne. And I'm a big consumer of wine myself, not a serious problem. 
yet. But on a scale from zero to Patsy Stone, how tipsy were you when you sang again? Um, straight in to Janis Joplin. Forget about the light stuff, because bear in mind, I'd already seen Mrs. Einstein, and we had some vodka. And somebody else had some Jack Daniels or something like that. And then, you know, there was a champagne company that were hosting. And so they wanted to get their champagne brand into all of the shots. And so we're pouring and pouring, 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 celebrating, celebrating. For her. Absolutely. (laughs) And listen, I don't want to tell you how many times I got drunk in the green room with my artists praying Praying that we won't win. <laughs> praying. If the EPU people are listening, people serve some food. You can't serve just drinks. We're getting wasted. Yeah. My God. The, the, the top was in 2016, which we will discuss that a bit later. That was, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, Katrina and Waze won. Ireland came second for once in the 90s. They usually always won. Uh, Turkey third with the fan favorite, Dean Lepp. When I'm searching or looking for a Eurovision winner, it's not just, oh, this is a nice song. It's, it's in my opinion, and when I'm judging in national finals all across Europe, not just what would uh, bring that country the best result, that's the main thing, but what would do well for Eurovision. Yeah. You know, when Dana International won, it was fantastic for Eurovision. When Estonia and Latvia won, not so much. No. When Euphoria won, and, and the, the Italians now are great for Eurovision. Uh, you, you have to consider that, you know, about the brand of the Eurovision, and, and it needs hits. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Katrina, delighted. The year after, in 98, the trip went to Birmingham. (laughs) And for the third time in a row, you had a new job in Eurovision. Yeah, I was working, uh, again, still working for Shlomo And I remember Dana and her manager coming to the office with a demo of Diva. They wanted to play to to Shlomo uh, to see what he thinks. And we were sitting at Shlomo's office and listening to the demo. And and Shlomo said, listen, that's a great song. It can be in the top five. And I remember me saying, we're going to win.
Now, Shlomo, at the end of it, wasn't involved, but the production was from his office. Uh, the executive producer worked at Shlomo and I was her assistant. So I remember working, you know, ever since it was announced that uh, Dana would uh, represent Israel. Yeah. Uh, for about three, four, five, I don't even remember how long, uh, you know, I was proud of it. But, but I must ask, was the song decided first or Dana? No, both. It was a committee. You had to submit uh, a song with a singer. Okay, yep. So they knew what they were getting. And and by the way, uh, during that time, we were working on a new group called Eden. Mm, yeah. And we had a song called Happy Birthday. And I said to Shlomo, let's send that to the committee. And he said, no, no, they're not for Eurovision. You know what happened the following year, right? Yep. <laughs> so yeah, working with Dana was uh, the most, hilarious you know i'm gay but that was my first encounter with the lgbtq community and it's like being thrown not to the deep end of the swing swimming pool it's like in the middle of the ocean that was incredible and fun and the delegation was so many great people the backup singers and and the vocal arranger and and dana and her entourage We had a marvelous, marvelous week in Birmingham. I can tell you, by the way, if you want gossip, that we were sitting on the day of the contest. We were sitting at the hotel. We were eating breakfast. We never thought that we would win. That wasn't discussed. I remember the conversation that morning saying that there are four songs that could win. We understood that we had a chance. The UK, obviously. Yeah. I would try Netherlands, which uh, yeah. don't kill me, I think that would have won. And uh, Croatia. Nobody talked about Kiara. Nobody mentioned Kiara anywhere. Not I even... thought Belgium had the best odds before the show. I know that we started as number 10 and at the end of the week, you know, we were like number three or five or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But that just shows you the evolution of Eurovision because that was the first year of the televoting. Yeah. But you know, they had backup jurors, right? Yep. And you know, the place that Israel ended up with the backup jurors, right? I don't know. Please tell me. Six. Oh, who won? I don't know. I don't know. But I know that we ended up six. So that's the beauty about the evolution of Eurovision. We don't always like it. But Dana, it, it was more than just doing Eurovision. I mean, at that time, after she had won and been transsexual, it changed everything in regards to LGBTQ rights in Israel. Mm. That literally changed everything in Israel. So Eurovision is much more uh, than just a song contest. It can change 
your life. Yeah. And that's what Dana did. Definitely. Eurovision 98 is so good in so many ways. Yes, yes. You, you have heard about the Jean-Paul Gaultier dress and why she didn't wear it, right? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> so she should have worn the Jean-Paul Gaultier peacock whatever it was, yep. on stage during performance. Absolutely. She wore it on uh, the day before, the dress rehearsal. Yes. And then they realized, if you see on YouTube the dress rehearsal, that one of the feathers is cutting her face. And when I say cutting, it's a long feather. Yep. Uh, which cuts which cover shadow. It. Yes, the, her face. Yeah. Now, it costs, I don't know, quarter of a million euros, this jacket. We're not going to cut the feather. <laughs> You're not cutting the feather. So uh, she wore the dress that she uh, had worn for the red carpet event. Yeah. The winning dress was worn at the red carpet event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think was a brilliant thing because she actually looked like a woman and not a transsexual trying to, you know, everything works for the best. So that's the story about Jean-Paul Gaultier. And then they apparently they called them and say, if we'll win, we will wear it, blah, blah, blah. This is why it took them so long to go on stage. Yeah. And they got locked, I think, in the changing room. I, I don't. I, I was in the crowd. You can see me waving the flag and, and in the crowd. Yeah. Ecstatic. Yeah. I have watched this probably 150 times. <laughs> and... I love the songs. I love the hosts, Ulrika Jonsson and uh, Terry Wogan. Which ruined Eurovision for the UK. We do understand that. We love him, but he ruined Eurovision. But that's not allowed to say, you know. <laughs> Christer Björkman said it in an interview and oh my God. Oh, did he? Did he? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't fucking care. He ruined Eurovision for the UK. It's his fault. God bless him. This will be performed by Glenn Penniston and Cheyenne Stone. Stone and Stone. This... This is a contest in which you're going to see a lot of hair. It's a slap in the face for Europe's barbers. Ah, ah there. That's... 29 years since the Netherlands have won this contest. Make that 30. We learned from Jon Ola Sand, the former executive producer of EBU in this podcast, that Eurovision in 98, when he was head of delegation for Norway, that it was so bad when it came to the hotel situation and transportation and logistics. So he wrote a report to the EBU. Do you share his opinion about that? I honestly don't remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I don't remember. And no, you know, listen, I travel so much uh, thanks to my job. And I, I, it'll sound funny, but I love it when the conditions are shit. Then you have stories for life. And it's really fun. Uh, but I honestly don't remember anything about those matters in Birmingham. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, we talked here before what um, that we knew, know in retrospect what this victory for Israel and Dan International later meant for the LGBT community, both in the world and, of course, in Israel. But what would you say it meant for you? was my dream to win Eurovision and I was part of the delegation who won it for Israel. Yeah. Uh, Were you uh, out and proud in uh, 98? Not really. I was, I was, I knew I was gay, but 
back then it wasn't something you're proud of and screaming and shouting and, and I was very shy and until like 96 I was a fat kid and then I lost a lot of weight so I had my issues so I didn't really do anything about it but thanks to Dana and we had first uh, gay pride in Tel Aviv and she had performed there so we went all the delegation and I just remember being scared and um, insecure, but it, it changed a lot. And, and I, I'm really thankful for Dana and, and for the opportunity to have worked with her, which I've done that several more times. Um, but but she's, she's, listen, I really love her. When you sit down and talk to her, she is so intelligent. I just love her. I was then and still am the biggest fan of Dana International. And I wanted to celebrate the podcast's 100th anniversary episode with her. But I have learned that her manager isn't the best to answer her mail, so it didn't come to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, Shai, he was actually, uh, as a teenager, I used to write for uh, youth magazines. He was my editor <laughs> oh. when I was like 14 or 15 writing for one of the youth magazines. Yeah. Well, maybe you can help me then. Since Dan International won, the contest was held in Israel the year after, in the capital, Jerusalem. And you were there? As executive producer, because, you know, as I told you before, when I suggested uh, that we should send Eden and happy birthday to Eurovision, it was like, no. But the day after we came back with Dana, Shlomo said to me, okay, fine, we're going to send it next year. He became hungry again to do Eurovision. Yeah. So it was again the same method as Dana. We will select the song with the singer now, Eden. They were completely unknown. We were just... But was were there a group from the beginning or were it some of the solo guys? No, 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 no. It was a group. We were okay. working on an album. Yep, yep. Uh, Moshe Datz and Shlomo Tzach were the producers. We had worked on that for a year. And the day it was announced that Happy Birthday will be representing Israel, uh, we sent one of the songs, not Happy Birthday, but another song to radio stations uh, so they would understand who this group is, who the members are. But yeah, it was that was the first thing they, they did, Eurovision. Uh, but they were working on the album before that. It wasn't like, you know, Milk and Honey. It was a group made up for Eurovision. Eden, it was a real group. <laughs> I was very happy that I'm now the executive producer of the Israeli delegation, working with them. But I have to tell you something, representing your country in your own country, that's not, um, no, <laughs> that wasn't the best thing for me. That wasn't ideal because when you're traveling overseas, you know, to Dublin or to Birmingham or to Stockholm, you're in some sort of a bubble. 
Yeah. When you're doing Eurovision in your own country, you're not in a bubble. And I remember we were treated like uh, stepkids. I don't know why, uh, to my recollection, we were not treated the best, even though we were Israelis and it's in Israel, but it was a fun experience. We could travel home, you know, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. It's one hour, 45 minutes by car. So uh, I'm not a fan of Jerusalem. Uh, so, you know, uh, we were on the line between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem all the time. Do you have any especially memories from Jerusalem that you can share with us? I remember I became friends with uh, the Belgic delegation. Vanessa Schinitor. If you say, I don't remember. We were sitting at the hotel lobby on Friday evening after the dress rehearsal. And you know, Jerusalem, it's a kosher city and the hotels are kosher, which means they won't operate any machinery uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or anything on electricity. Yep. from uh, Friday afternoon until Saturday evening. Shabbat. Exactly. So they've asked for a milkshake and a toast and the hotel explained that they, and, and you know, they, they looked at me and say, you're fucking nuts. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Wait until I'll tell you all about the Shabbat elevator, which stops on every fucking floor. And I told that to Mons, what Mons Elberlev, when he was in Israel, what is Shabbat Ele? He was laughing his ass off. But yeah, so and and I I remember became really friendly with the Spanish singer Lydia, I think her name was. Yes, she ended she, the last. I actually liked that, that song, and I remember in the after show party I came and I hugged her and I said that I hope that she wasn't too disappointed, and she said no, not really. lovely girl yeah and, oh and i remember uh the croatian singer as well you know her name uh doris Dra dragovic yeah doris she was the loveliest again you have a lot of time you sit you meet artists you sit for you you meet for drinks and and i remember talking to her uh for like a couple of hours and and she was um really lovely happened behind the scenes uh, uh, I was sitting in the green room with my group finishing fifth I think if I remember correctly yep and staying at the hotel overnight and and, and coming back you know working the following day nothing really nothing exciting nothing you know back then everyone was they were good kids no it's not like those these days you know, they were good kids. I remember from my chat with Daphna Dekel, that was one of the hosts, uh, that she she told me that uh, some days before the show, one of her uh, co-hosts nearly died because a lamp smashed to the floor. Yeah, by the way, I worked with Daphna as well because she was signed at Shlomo's office. So yeah. I was working with Daphna and I remember going to the host's rehearsals with her. 
us and I love her. She's the nicest. I, I actually saw her uh, a week ago. She's the nicest. And the stories that I do have from that year, forgive me, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna share with you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and, and whatever you think, not, not bad enough. Even worse. Well, okay. <laughs> we continue. Sweden won with Charlotte Nilsson, now Perelli, and her yeah. ABBA-influenced song, Take Me to Your Heaven. It was played on the radio because Eurovision was held in Israel. Yeah. But we were all saying that Iceland should have won. But I love uh, Charlotte. She, she's she's a lovely person. Yeah. Um, but again, not one of my favorites, uh, favorite winners. The winner, Dana International, uh, the, from the year before, was chosen to both sing her new single, the Stevie Wonder cover, Free, yeah. and yeah. hand over the prize to the composers. And we all know how that last part went. Yeah. Do you remember what you and your team thought there and then when she fell to the floor with the prize and one of the Swedish composers over her? Uh, we were in the green room, we were gasping. Yep. Uh, trying to understand what the fuck had happened. And after understanding what happened, couldn't stop laughing. What happened then? Uh, she felt that the prize was heavy, Yeah, I guess. And people tend to think that she organized it to yeah, steal did it the on purpose, yeah. No, she listen, her dress, what she uh, wore, the pins got uh, stuck into her flesh. It wasn't on purpose. It wasn't on purpose. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> I just yeah. asked. Yeah. So so I, I remember just gasping and trying to understand what happened and then we all could stop laughing. <laughs> you know, it was come on. When I see someone fall down I tend to laugh and, and then help him but I need to stop laughing before yeah and it's hard to stop lo- lo- looking when an accident occurs exactly <laughs> but why would it take five years for you to be back in Eurovision after 99 uh, in September 99 I was um, poached by Warner Music Israel mm-hmm. uh, and I was asked to come and uh, be head of uh, PR and A&R yeah for world music, so I did that for the international department, working with uh, singers, you know, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Madonna, R.E.M., The Course, Linkin Park, Missy Elliott, Lou Reed, Neil Young. So I did that for two and a half years, and then I got sick of it. And then at 2003, I opened my own firm, which does management and PR for singers, publishing and creating content, which I do until today. Yeah. So uh, those four or five years, I didn't really care about Eurovision. I watched it, obviously, but I wasn't part of it. I had a lot of other things on my mind. I was the one actually letting uh, Lior Narkis in 2003. Uh, I was the one actually calling him, not officially, because he had performed in a very big event that I did the PR for, so I knew him and I've heard and I called him and I said, congratulations, you're going to represent Israel. And he's like, but I, I, I don't know about that. I said, well, you will know about that soon. It's my way to say I want you, I love you. 
I worked with him six years later yeah. uh, for four years. Yeah. Yeah. He's a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. And I'm still a big him. artist in Israel. Yeah, yeah. I have a story. Listen, when I got him, when I got, uh, when I worked with him, I think it was 2008, his career was in a low, really bad condition and it took us a year and then he became one of the hottest singers again and and i'm really proud of that uh and and he's such a sweet person such a sweet person in 2005 you were the head of press for belarus yeah. how on earth did you get that job so we have talked about moshe Dats in the past yep in this conversation now we are still really good friends and he called me i think it was march or april Saying, listen, a friend of mine, Philip Kirkorov, he's a really big singer in Russia. I didn't know who he was. He's helping uh, the Russian singer for Eurovision and they want to come to Israel to do some PR. I don't know if they have money. I don't know what the condition is. Do me a favor. I need your help. Can you organize like three days of interviews? And I said, that's for you, everything. Whatever you need, you know, he's a really good friend. Yeah. So two days before they came, I realized it's not the Russian singer, it's the Belarusian singer. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> it was two and a half, three days of a lot of activities here in Israel. Do you speak and Russian? No. No. Uh, that was so hilarious. 40 people came in a private jet. 40. I remember me in that sitting and, and trying to understand what's happening. And I said, so they do have money. <laughs> and he said, well, apparently they do. I didn't know about that. <laughs> anyway, so I did this work and I spent like three days with them. They've hired a limo for Philip and Angelica and her husband. And of course, I thought that my place was in the limo. So three days, I'm with them in the limo. The rest of the group, 40 people are in two vans. I'm with them in the limo. And I remember the turning point, you know, we had a press conference, TV shows, whatever. And in Russia, if you're doing a TV show, the director is God. You don't talk to him. You don't, you always obey, you know. Yeah. I've heard that that's the situation in Russia. Now we did a very big TV show in Israel, in the first channel. They were all friends of mine because I'm working with artists. So they're friends of mine and Angelica is doing her uh, song. And after the recording, it wasn't live, I stopped the show and I went to the director and said, listen, you can do better for you and for us. Let's shoot that again. did the song again and then on the car on the way back she said what what happened and i explained i didn't like the result so i asked the director to reshoot it apparently they were so impressed and you know they did a 20 countries tour in 30 days something like that yeah so they had 20 other people like me in every country and we were in the limo on the way back to tel aviv because uh, the show was shot in jerusalem and they said to me, well, we want you to come and be our head of press in Kiev. And that's a job I haven't done before. Now, I was very excited, but I refused it because I'm working with singers. One of my bands 
who almost represented Israel in the 80s several times in Eurovision. They always came second or third in, in the national final. Shalva. No? No, sexta. Yeah, yeah, sexta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm working with them. Oh, and we had mm-hmm. a, we had a tour in Canada for the Jewish community and and it was uh, it was on the same dates as the Eurovision so her husband took out like a thousand euros and say come work with us now they were talking with the choreographer of Celine Dion from Vegas Mia Michaels to do the choreography for them in Kiev yeah and I've heard how much she's asking and I said I'll come if I'll get that price and they say welcome aboard <laughs> How much money was it? A lot <laughs> of money. A lot of money. And I'm like, fuck, what am I doing now? So I met with uh, Sexta two days uh, after that. And I explained the situation. And the girl said, you go, do your thing. I took my twin brother. He went with them to Toronto. We had uh, a lot of fun with them. So a couple of days before I went to Kiev, I had a panic attack because I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of money for a job that I honestly didn't know what, what am I supposed to... I don't know what to do there. So I had a panic attack and I thought of canceling and I took a deep uh, air, deep breath and I said to myself, you're going to go and you're going to be the best. And I was. I nailed it. We were there for 10 days. The craziest delegation ever. You know, all of them were Russians. We had two Greek backup singers. Yep. The composer was Greek. Uh, Nikos Terzis. Yeah. Um, he, he wrote uh, Pia Prosevki in 95. Yeah. So every morning we started with three hours of a meeting and it was all in Russian and every evening three hours uh, after a couple of days I said listen I that, that's not working for me I'm, I'm here to work not to waste my time I'm not coming anymore and you don't disobey them but I didn't know and and I was excused all of us all the foreigners we were excused and I had a lot of fights with them about the hair and makeup about what she was wearing are we talking about the baroque dress now yes I said, go just with the, the last, uh, it was like a jumpsuit, yeah. golden. Yeah. I said, go with that, lose the tiara, lose the earrings, lose all the, you know, you have Eastern Europe. I it's would, yours. I, I must say, I would love that Baroque dress to have as a curtain here. Yes, as a curtain, it's amazing. Yep. As a dress. <laughs> Hideous. She looked like a drag queen and she's one of the most beautiful women on earth. The hair was too much. The make was too much. And I remember fighting with them and the head of delegation came to me and she said, listen, you're right, but they're not listening. So don't waste your time anymore. <laughs> um, and we didn't qualify. You know, we, they stop, stop, stop. we must talk about it later, but I must, I must say before, uh, because... I know that the singer Angelique Agarbash had some difficulties to decide her song and she changed songs several times. I think she, she changed like seven or nine or eight or ten songs. Yes. Uh, at one uh, point they chose Svika Pick's song. Exactly. Show me your love. Yeah, and he was very offended that they passed on this song. Yeah. Show me your love. Look at me and kiss me and say 
loved uh, Love Me Tonight. I think the song was great. Yep. Uh, I wasn't a fan of the staging. I think it's uh, Mia Michaels. She's really great on uh, choreographing and staging for shows in Vegas. But the Eurovision is for cameras and there is a lot of difference. And you have to understand that. So I think the choreography was really good for staging, not for cameras. And let's face it, she's not the greatest singer. You know, <laughs> uh, she they forgot one element. <laughs> yep. She has to sing. And, and she couldn't. I wish it could be near me. I seek your eyes to thrill me. So take a chance and feel me. I am ready now. was crying two full days before the semi-final. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they were arguing because it was all in Russian and my translator didn't tell me what was, but she couldn't stop crying. And that affected her, I think. So even though they spent a lot, my estimates is that they spent around four and a half, five million euros on Eurovision with the promotional tour and everything and, and salaries, and they didn't qualify. And me and Mia, the choreographer and her assistant, we were afraid to go back to the hotel. And in the middle of the night, we finally got back to the hotel and all of the delegation, they've hired all the rooms in that hotel. It was the most posh hotel in Kiev, only 40 rooms. They were all in the lobby drinking champagne, like celebrating, and she was crying. And she asked me if I could explain why she didn't qualify. And I remember saying to her, shit happens. Shit happens. I don't know why. I couldn't tell her, listen, you can't sing. You know, that, that, come on. And we woke up the following day, half the delegation was gone. But this is so, this is, this is so interesting. I mean, She really missed the ability to sing live. Uh, I think it's so strange that no one has said that to her. You don't say that thing to a woman who her husband is connected, maybe allegedly, to the mafia. Uh, uh, so I've heard, I don't know. And she's paying a lot of money. And you, you don't say that. I mean, I, even if I did, during the Eurovision week, told her, listen, you can't sing. What was she supposed to do with that? Yeah. I mean, come on. But we woke up the following morning, half of the delegation in the middle of the night were, were uh, sent back to Moscow. <laughs> uh, so that was strange. Oh, so you missed the final. No, we were there, actually, because uh, half of us stayed. So we were in the arena in Kiev, and I was obviously cheering Israel with uh, Shirin. Yeah. And I remember... Um, a guy from Slovenia who sat next to me and I met him uh, a couple of years ago in Tel Aviv uh, and he uh, reminded me that I started screaming in English when Germany gave the points. I said, I want at least six points, one for every million. Uh, 
try to understand what I'm talking about. Six million Jews, Holocaust. Yeah. I want. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, if, uh, we are allowed to make some jokes about the Holocaust. Um, and, and they found it very funny. And apparently I was, because here at one point she was in the lead and I was very ecstatic and I wanted points. So, yeah. So that's my uh, memories from uh, Kiev. I remember that the Swedish commentator Edvard of Silien said on the final night that Angelika Agurbash had been furious of the result and rushed out of the arena and made a scene. Is this true? Could be. I, I, we were just hiding <laughs> at that point when we, we were just hiding. All of us foreigners, we were, you know, we were we were afraid. I, I'm not kidding. We were afraid to go back to the hotel. It took us like three hours to finally go back to the hotel. We were petrified. Yeah. So she might have caused scenes. I don't know. I wasn't there with her. Uh, I was sitting um, in the crowd during the semifinal. Yeah not in the green room. So I have no idea. The same year, Eurovision was celebrating 50 years. And to celebrate that, the EBU invited to a party in Copenhagen with former winners and fan favorites, which was broadcasted on television. And among them, you were together with Dana International. Yeah! Lady of the island On Sunday afternoon What he says What I was asked, uh, someone was doing uh, a film about her, a documentary, and I was asked to go to Copenhagen to help them with the documentary. Yeah. So I was there for three days uh, doing the PR for Dana and helping the documentary. And we were working the whole time. We didn't have uh, even an hour, a free hour. So I didn't really get, it was my first time in Copenhagen. We were working the whole time, but there was one really good thing uh, coming out of this event. This is where I met for the first time Anne-Marie David, mm, yeah. who is like my second mom. Yeah. I, I met her and a lot of other artists, but I met her and we stayed in touch and we're working now. Uh, in the, ever since we're working and whenever she comes to Israel, she stays at my apartment. So yeah, that was... That was really inter an interesting uh, thing, the 50th anniversary. Meeting a lot of singers that I grew up on. Those were singers that I grew up listening to their winning songs. And, and you know, back then I was so excited. Nowadays, you know, they're my friends. It's like family. That, that was brilliant. And, you know, that's where I met also Carola. Mm -hmm. And she came to me in Copenhagen. She said, we met in Jerusalem in 99. And I said, how can you remember? We met for like 20 seconds. 
she was a friend of Orna and Moshe Dats. Yep, yep. But I re- she said, she's like a witch, Carola. She remembered me six years later, and, and we became really good friends after that. But, you know, uh, meeting all of those singers that I adored or watched on TV, and, and that was amazing for me. That was incredible. Can we go back to Anne-Marie David? I know that you two have shared a bed in Austria. Please elaborate. <laughs> to be continued. Next week, we will hear the rest of his stories and memories from the world of Eurovision. Lehitraot and see you later. Tu te reconnais